recent years, rivers of ink and tons of paper have been used in an effort to discredit Christianity. We need to admit, though, that the Christian church has not assumed the role of leadership. It has not risen to meet the ongoing crisis. Unfortunately, the opposite is true. The church, in some ways, is in full retreat. For when Christianity falters, and remember, it will never fail. When Christianity falters, it will never be because of the sharp attacks by the persecutors. History has repeatedly shown that the church will patiently bury its persecutors and make each tombstone an altar over which they will sing the Tadeum. When Christianity falters, it will be for one reason alone, and it's the Christians. Christians are people who are for the most part prone to practice partial Christianity. You know, you let the church bells ring and call all to worship and they will answer. But you let the doorbell ring with someone standing there with hand extended and they are too often inclined to turn a deaf ear. Christians are people. They're sinful human beings. So put us into a sanctuary like the one we're in today with the beautiful stained glass windows, the sunlight sparkling through amidst the softly dancing flames of the candles, candlelight on the altar. Add to these those familiar hymns that relax and console, and we are at home and at peace with God. But this is only part of Christianity. The other side is more difficult. Christianity out there among the people, where life is real, raw, and rough, and must eventually be lived while here on earth. This was characteristic of our Lord Jesus Christ, spending much of his time with and among the people and not in the temple. God created us, created people. He died for people and not for stained glass windows, candles, and organs. He died for people because he loves people. When the law of love states that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, it also states that as a result, we ought to love people, our neighbors, as God did, and that we have responsibility to people. That is why, through the divine guidance of God's Holy Spirit and on the basis of today's Gospel text, we notice that God reminds us that Christianity requires involvement. Now, I mentioned the word people a number of times. We talk about interesting people. The text is full of them. The victim, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, each one has interesting characteristics. The most interesting person of all, however, is the lawyer who came to Jesus full of questions about lifestyle and being a good neighbor and eternity. Uppermost in the mind of the lawyer was the problem of how to obtain eternal life. 
Jesus tells this parable which helps us to take another look at how we ought to love our neighbors. Some may say, well, I mind my own business, that is the way to stay out of trouble. Some may say, let me live in the house by the side of the road and be a friend to mankind. Those two sentences express two points of view, two lifestyles. I mind my own business, stick your nose into other people's affairs, and you're likely to get bloodied. True, but carried to its extreme, this approach to life leads one to turn a deaf ear to the cries of victims of oppression, robbery, violence, and murder. It leads one to read a casualty list in the newspaper or on social media with more detachment than the, the results one reads in the sports pages. Statistics on homelessness, deaths from all drug overdoses remain just that, statistics, not people with mental health issues and people in need. I mind my own business. But who will pursue justice and champion the oppressed, give the orphan his rights, plead the widow's cause? And this was written by Prophet Isaiah. We may ask ourselves that exact question, but who will pursue justice and champion the oppressed, give the orphan his rights, plead the widow's cause? Written by the Prophet Isaiah. Let me live in a house by the side of the road and be a friend to mankind. But there are so many people passing by my house at the side of the road. Where does it all end? Must we, too, sell all that we have and give the money to the poor? Is there a limit to being a good neighbor? These questions have to do with the very essence of life, in fact, with eternal life. That's the question the lawyer put before Jesus when he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It is the important question. Sooner or later, we must ask it ourselves and we must discover the answer. I am inclined to give an answer out of my experience, knowledge and faith. I know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. I know the answer the Apostle Paul gave to a similar question when the jailer in Philippi brought him and Silas out of jail and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. There is simply no other way. At this point, we have to be honest. We can see a problem. We understand that there is no way for us to love God and neighbor as we should. Therefore, there's no way to earn eternal life. The right response to this parable would be total surrender. No ordinary human being can live up to the standard Jesus established in this parable. No ordinary human being can do what needs to be done to inherit eternal life. Of course, there is one who lives up to that standard, that we know who that is. That's Jesus, the one who told the story. He is no ordinary man. He is the Christ who is true man and true God. <clears throat> As we laid along the side of the road, slaves to sin, disgusting, dead in trespasses and sin, Christ poured out his life for us. Each and every one of us was unlovable and difficult. 
But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. And there is more. The Samaritan in the story transported the poor victim to an inn where he could receive care while he healed. Christ sends the Holy Spirit to gather his people into his church where they also receive care and healing. The forgiveness of sins freely given by the word as the pastor absolves the sin of the baptized. The forgiveness of sins given individually as the pastor brings the very body and blood of our Lord and Savior for us to eat and drink and the forgiveness proclaimed by the preaching of the word. All these are the medicine of immortality that Jesus has given to his church to care for his saints. All this is backed up by the unlimited grace of God's love as expressed in the gospel. In this parable, Jesus has taught us that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. Instead, there is this impossible standard of love that none of us can meet. Thankfully, it's the Christ who kept his high standard of love, and that he loved us even while we were most unlovable. We inherit eternal life because Christ died and he put us in his will. Now we shall live forever even as he has risen from the dead and lives into eternity. As the Apostle John wrote in his epistle, we love because he first loved us. We love because the love we love because the law has been fulfilled for us in Christ. We love because we are loved by God. And love in Christ and our gratitude for having received his love compels our heartfelt involvement in the lives of others. So, the parable of the Good Samaritan isn't really about the lawyer at all. It is about understanding that we are the ones in the ditch and that Christ has saved us even though we could do nothing at all. Jesus is our good, Jesus is our good Samaritan. As recipients of such love, then we simply love others because of Christ. It is as simple as that. In Jesus' name, Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ.